Let us pray. And now, Lord, we would listen to your heart, your great heart of love for us. And how good it is for us to know that you are God who has revealed yourself to us in your written word and in, above all in the living word who is Jesus. So, Lord, we open our hearts to you and we open our ears. Lord, help us to listen. For to listen to you and to obey you is to know life in all its fullness. So to you be the glory. Amen. Believe it or not, I was once a baseball umpire. One summer long ago, I called balls and strikes behind home plate for Little League games. I think they were really hard up to find people who would take that job. And I got to say, my career was short-lived. I couldn't handle the parents. <laughs> it was just too much. It truly takes a special person uh, to want to be an umpire. And I can't think of a more thankless job. Charlie Moran, who uh, was an old National League uh, baseball umpire, was one tough ump. And he had a high regard for himself and for his decisions. And uh, he liked to make it clear to the ball players, you know, who was boss behind the plate. And one day, at a very close play at home, the runner and the catcher eagerly awaited Charlie's decision. And the umpire hesitated, and the catcher shouted out, Well, is he safe or is he out? And uh, Moran pulled himself up to full height, and he cleared his throat and said to the catcher, Mister, until I calls it, it ain't nothing at all. Baseball umpires don't have the luxury of sitting on the fence when a call is to be made, at least not for very long. You got to decide one way or the other. He's either safe or he's out, and you have to stand on your decision. And it's the same for you and me with regard to the great social and moral and spiritual issues of life. We are continually called upon to make decisions and to take a stand one way or the other. You got to decide. And yet many folks harbor the illusion that they can simply straddle the fence and remain neutral on every crucial question. Now granted, there are many gray areas in life where it's really hard to know what to think and what to believe. Taking a stand can be very difficult, and of course, once we stand, then we need to be open to new information that may, in fact, change our view. We can always keep an open mind about things. But there is a social neutrality that wants to straddle the fence on every controversial political or social issue. 
that never wants to set foot on the solid bedrock of conviction. It's easier and it's more peaceable to make no decision at all. You can simply agree with whomever you are with. Like a chameleon, you just kind of blend in with the crowd. There's a moral neutrality that never wants to call good good or evil evil, but sees only shades of gray. Morality, it is said, is strictly in the eye of the beholder. And so in the name of openness and tolerance, it wants to turn a blind eye to all injustice and to those things that are just plain wrong. Sometimes we have to call it like it is and take action. Bishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa put it this way. He says, if an elephant is standing on the tail of a mouse and you remain neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. And then there is a spiritual neutrality. Choosing neither belief nor atheism simply leaves the matter of God open to question, kind of up in the air. Is there a God? Well, maybe, maybe not, perhaps, but then who knows? You know, the whole agnostic thing. People never do land spiritually. The question's always up in the air. Those that harbor and live this illusion that they can continually sit on the fence in all the crucial choices and decisions of life cut a sorry figure. Robert Berenger, who was a Presbyterian minister in one of his books, describes just such a person. Here is a person who works as a clerk in a big store and lives quietly with his family in a modest suburban home. I am a peaceful man, he's fond of saying. He has no enemies simply because he has no strong convictions about anything. He rarely involves himself in an argument, and when discussions do arise at work or at home, he never takes sides. Nobody knows where this man stands politically, how he votes, or whether he votes at all. In conversation with neighbors about the great problems of the day, he's much like the man who jumped on his horse and rode rapidly off in all directions. Even this man's children cannot draw their father into helping settle simple disputes or making basic life choices. In all of life's major choices, he straddles the fence, believes in nothing, caring for nothing, loving nothing, and remaining alive only because he has nothing worth dying for in his empty life. Oh, how <laughs> sad. Those of us who spend a lot of time sitting on the fence of life do, do so out of fear of making a wrong choice, and that's completely understandable. But what we don't realize is that not to choose is a choice. Not to decide is to decide. Not to decide for the right is to go along with the evil. Not to decide to follow God's way is to go your own way, which leads ultimately to spiritual death. So this morning, we're going to meet a person who issues a challenge to all of us who are tempted to sit on the fence of life. He's a fellow by the name of Elijah, a prophet of God and one of the greatest men in Old Testament history. No doubt you've heard of Elijah. 
but how much do you really know about him? Well, I can tell you that he was a very colorful man. Nothing he did was ordinary or predictable. In fact, he made such an impact upon, upon the people of Israel that to this day, it is Elijah whom the Jewish people expect to return to announce the coming of the Messiah. And at their Passover celebration, they always leave the door open for Elijah to come in, and they set a place for him at the Passover table. In the New Testament, Elijah is mentioned more often than any other Old Testament person except Moses. And you may remember that it was Elijah and Moses who appeared to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus was met by the two greatest men in Israel's history at a crucial moment of his life as he was about to go to the cross. Elijah is also famous for the miracles that God performed through him. He restored a dead boy to his mother. But above all, he was a man who was single-minded in his commitment to God and absolutely fearless in taking a stand upon God's Word, even though no one really wanted to hear what he had to say. He lived during the reign of one of the most powerful rulers of the northern kingdom of Israel, a fellow by the name of Ahab, King Ahab. And as a Hebrew king, Ahab owed his allegiance to Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he worshiped the Lord, the God of Israel. But he got into trouble when he married a powerful Phoenician princess by the name of Jezebel, who was an ardent, ardent worshiper of the Canaanite uh, pagan fertility god, Baal. And Ahab, against his better judgment, allowed his wife to bring her religion into the palace courts. And pretty soon, people were worshiping this pagan god in addition to the God of Israel. And this, of course, was to disobey the very first commandment, uh, to have no other gods before him. Serious offense, and God was not pleased, and so he struck the land with three years of drought and famine. We read in uh, the book of 1 Kings in the 18th chapter that God then tells Elijah to go to Ahab to announce the end of the drought. And so the two met each other, and immediately there was friction. They got into a shouting uh, match, and Ahab, the king, uh, called Elijah, you troubler of Israel. And Elijah responded by throwing that charge right back to Ahab, who troubled Israel by allowing the worship of false gods. And so out of this bitter confrontation, it was decided that there should be a contest between the two gods the God of Baal, and the God of Israel, to see indeed which God was the true God, the God who would make it rain once again. And so all of Israel gathered on the top of Mount Carmel, a mountain near the Mediterranean Sea, actually not too far from Haifa in Israel today. And there on top of that mountain, the 450 prophets of the god Baal were pitted against the lone prophet of the God of Israel. Imagine the scene. I mean, what courage it must have taken for Elijah to stand there and to face down all of these prophets who were swore allegiance to their God. 
But Elijah stood before the people and berated them, saying, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. Then Elijah set the ground rules for the contest. And then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now get two bulls for us, let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, why, He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. And Elijah said to the prophets of, of Baal, choose one of the bulls, prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. And finally, about noon, Elijah was kind of having fun watching all this. <laughs> and it began, to t it began to taunt them. Shout louder, would you? <laughs> go ahead. Apparently, he has hearing problems. Where did he go? Surely, he's a god. Perhaps your God's deep in thought. Perhaps he's just busy. He's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and he's got to be awake and therefore, please, shout louder. Maybe he's on a coffee break. Actually, the Hebrew, if you look at the Hebrew, uh, the, the language is even more sar sarcastic and more coarse. Maybe he left to re relieve himself. So they shouted and shouted and shouted, and they began to dance around even more, you know, frenetically, and, and they began to, to, to cut themselves with, with spears and, and with, with uh, knives and so on. The, the blood was flowing, apparently, that was supposed to arouse their God's action. But no one answered. And then we pick up the story again. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. And do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. 
and the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And so, Elijah won the day. Or far more accurately, Elijah's God carried the day. God came through and showed Himself to be the one true God. But we are amazed by Elijah's total commitment to God, his courage to take a stand, his absolute confidence in God's ability to provide. He was all in in following his God. There was no wavering. There was no doubting whatsoever. Talk about having the courage of your convictions. Elijah is a real standout. The same could not be said, however, of Ahab and the people of Israel. Again, as Elijah put it, how long will you waver, or according to the language, how long will you limp along between two opinions? He said, if the Lord is God, follow Him, but if Baal is God, follow Him. Elijah was exhorting the people to summon up the courage to make a decision. Make up your minds, he was telling them. You have to decide. You just can't sit on the fence. You can't serve both gods at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. We recall the, the words of Jesus nine centuries later. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You got to choose. So Elijah's challenge is as relevant today as it was way back, way back when. We have to choose to go one way or the other. We can't have it both ways. Our God is a jealous God, and our God would have no other gods before him. Either we are all in for it with him, that he is indeed Lord of our life. Or we're all out. I mean, there's no in-between here. We must choose whom we will serve. You know, it makes me think of the words of Joshua, right? He was leading the people of Israel, Moses' successor. The, the people of Israel were about to go into the promised land with all of his blessings, with all of his temptations. And uh, Joshua set before the people the choice to serve the living God or the pagan deities of Israel's neighbors. Remember what Joshua said? Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. Now, obviously, you and I are not tempted to worship the Canaanite fertility god, Baal. Do we have any followers of Baal here? (laughs) Our gods have different names, don't they? I mean, we worship the almighty dollar, or sex, or power, or material possessions, or our own selfish desires, or even our own family can be an idol for us. You and I have our gods who would claim the ultimate place in our lives. But the trouble is, like the god Baal, they are bound to disappoint us. They are false gods. False gods will disappoint. They cannot serve as an adequate foundation upon which to base our lives. Therefore, we need to let them go. But you and I have to decide. We have to get off the fence. If we're going to follow the Lord God, then let's really follow. If He's Lord, then let's let Him be Lord. We have to be all in. It does absolutely no good to follow just a little bit when it's convenient to do so, dividing our loyalties among competing philosophies and gods. And if we do that, then we're just going to limp along. We'll limp along in life and we'll never get anywhere. And if you have any doubts about how God feels with, about spiritual fence-sitting and half-hearted commitment, all we have to do is turn to the book of Revelation, the very end of the Bible, and the writer describes a very large, successful, affluent congregation at Laodicea. Actually, it's more of a social club than a church. And on the great issues of the day, this congregation is neither cold nor hot, but sickeningly tepid. And therefore, that made God sick. So, because you are lukewarm, says the Lord, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. No one can sit on the fence for very long with regard to Jesus Christ. Not to decide is to decide. Jesus Himself made that clear in Luke chapter 11. He who is not with me is against me. He was always calling people to make a decision, to follow Him, to enter the narrow way, to accept the kingdom of God. There was an urgency about His call. Yet he never violated one's freedom to choose. In fact, we Christians follow the most unneutral person who ever lived. (laughs) Because far from being a divided house, divided against a house divided against itself, he was completely committed to doing his father's will. Single-minded, singly devoted. He followed one way, and that was his father's way was the way of life, not of death, of blessing, not of curse. With Jesus, he never wondered where he stood. And to be sure, he therefore evoked bitter opposition and outright persecution. For Jesus taking a stand meant rubbing some people the wrong way. And as you know, they in turn tried to rub him out, and we all know the rest of the story. Sometimes we have to pay the price, right, when we take a stand. 
thing is, we who call ourselves Christians must follow the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For Jesus says, my way is God's way. Follow me. So, will you and I follow Christ or not? Will we choose God's way or the God-denying way? Will we choose heaven or hell? Blessings or curses? Life or death? Decisions confront us at every turn. But sitting on the fence is not an option. Let's pray. Lord, we feel convicted just now. We recognize that our hearts are divided and that we don't follow you all the way, but only a little bit. We're halfway. And now we know, Lord, what you think about that. We limp along in life because we follow our own way half the time and ignore you. So, Lord, this day, this very moment, we would recommit ourselves to you, that we would give ourselves totally to you as much as we are able to do. And Lord, we pray that you would take us and that you would use us. Lord, give us the courage to stand for you, even when it's unpopular, even when it comes at a heavy price. But Lord, your way is a way of life. And Lord, if there are some who have never made that commitment to you, who are sitting on the fence right now with regard to who you are, Lord, we pray that your spirit would be upon them, that they would hear your voice right now, and that they will say, Lord, here I am. I'm done running away. I'm done running my own show. Come into my life and change me from the inside out. You be my Lord. And Lord, we know that you answer prayer and that once we've made that decision for you to enter in, our lives are, will be forever changed. Lord, we would follow you. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.